Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. Monday. No, not Monday. I'm recording it on Monday. Let's not get into that whole thing. Wednesday the 20th of June. That's when you are receiving it. I mean, it's going to turn into a whole thing because not everybody's listened to it on the same day. <laughs> but it's episode 34. doesn't matter when I'm recording this. What matters is that you're listening to it. Thank you very much. Thanks for downloading it. And thanks for hitting the subscribe button. And that's a gentle reminder, if you haven't, to please hit the subscribe button. Takes you no time, does you no harm. But it does the podcast a big favour. We're trying to grow it. I want the message to grow. So if you've got mates in the industry or not who haven't heard about it and you like it, why don't you tell them about it? You could even screenshot your phone right now when you're listening to it and you could share it on your Instagram or Twitter. Why don't you just do that? Um, it wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't do any harm and that'd be great. Let people know about it because I do get people saying all sorts of wonderful things to me which I really appreciate and then I think to myself, it'd be great if even more people could hear it. I just would like as many people to be in on the conversation as possible. I got one today, it was... Um, I actually can't remember who wrote it, but it was on Twitter. I saw the Scotch broth of podcasts. That's what putting it together is. I think I might keep that as a as a strapline. Welcome to putting it together, the Scotch broth of podcasts. So here we are, episode thirty four. No matter what day of the week it is, or time of the day or night, thank you for joining me, and thanks for being faithful listeners. And uh, if you've just started listening, then welcome. And it's dead easy. You just listen. And I do the talking, but for the most part, my guests do the talking. And this week, my guest is the wonderful Stuart Hepburn, writer, director, actor, dramaturg and script editor, many, many things, Um, and a very talented and wonderful man who has helped me a lot. He asked me to do his play, Chick Murray, A Funny Place for a Window, which I did recently. And following that, he directed The Thinkery, and he really helped not just direct it, but to kind of... um, whittle down the script and get it into its its best shape the best shape it could be in that only happened because of Stuart's work so I'm so happy that he's on the show today um, and I hope you enjoy listening to, to what we had to talk about it's a really good good chat I'm looking forward to listening back to it here so that's Stuart uh, it's great to have him in and uh, in the meantime I've been a wee bit off the radar because I've had vertigo would you believe and I thought that was to do with being scared of heights I don't know, if maybe there's a version of it that is, but this is a weird inner ear nonsense where you stagger about the place and feel sick and it's rotten. But it did force me to have some much needed time off, so that was good. I was having a bit of time off anyway, but this really slowed me down and got me to lie flat for about two days. So there you go, it's just starting to pass now. I managed to do uh, next week's podcast today and uh, the interview that is and it'll come out next Wednesday. And I managed to do that without falling off the chair. So I was quite pleased with myself. And then tomorrow I'll be off to America. I'm going to Florida for a couple of weeks um, for some gigs. And it turns out that one of my long-term pit pod listeners, Steve McMahon, lives out there. So I might actually be meeting up with uh, a listener who I've never met before. I thought that might be fun to do. So yes, uh, Steve, if you're listening, I'm looking forward to catching up with you. I'll be in Florida for a couple of weeks, like I say, and uh, some busy time and some in-between time, downtime. So I'm going to go to some nice place and and relax a little bit for about three or four days in between gigs. So I'm very pleased about that. Anyway, it's time for the episode. I mean, you're in the episode, but it's just about to get a whole lot better because it's going to be not so much me talking and more Stuart Hepburn talking. And he's got lots of really interesting stuff to to bring to you. So I won't dilly-dally any longer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of it. And uh, here you go. It's me and Stuart Hepburn, and we are putting it together. There's a magpie up there with something in its beak. You're a bird watcher, aren't you? Aye. Well, I like birds. Aye, I've got a wee tame blackbird that comes down. And every oh. time I go out to the garden, the blackbird comes. And I've watched it since it was a baby last year. So. How long would they live now? I don't know. She's, well, she's, she's a breeding mother now, although I had to help her. Oh, God. The, the crows ate two of her kids so oh. i don't know i think maybe five six years i don't know right. i'm not that much of an expert but i do enjoy bird watching yeah because hmm. you live in a rural area i do at the moment but i've sold my house and i've got nowhere to go so you might not be staying in a rural area i have no idea what i'm gonna do because <laughs> sometimes i've noticed you seem um fascinated let's say by the by the speed of city life i hate it it's it's um it's a bit much i'm not fascinated by it i'm appalled by it i was I, just being kind 
I, I just, I can't. I, if but I don't like crowds anyway. Mm. You know, that's why I'm a Dunfermline Athletic supporter. But I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, 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 I get into the, I just close down in the city. I just close down. Mm. See, if, if you're walking down a, a country lane and you meet somebody, you can talk about the birds or the weather or whatever, you know, but you you pass 2,000 people in the city and nobody gives a, I, I hate, I don't, I'm not a city man. I lived in London for a year, but. Must have been I, driven mad then. No, I kind of accepted it. I was really on the piss, basically, most of the time. And right, that's different. Taking stuff you don't want to know about and just having a great time in my mid-twenties. But but I got that was great, but I got bored. But I do like country. But I, you know, I love fishing. I was always... I'm, I'm talking about what I shouldn't be talking about at the moment, but I mean, I, I, I just love the countryside. Eh? Hmm. You're talking about exactly what you should be talking about, though. That's what I want to know. Oh, well. What are you then? In, in this started? Own... Ah, ages ago. Are you joking? No. <laughs> You've been recording this? Aye. <laughs> You're just wicked. That's what I do. <laughs> You're wicked. Yes, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. All right, okay. That's, that's stupid me. No, it's fine. It's all good stuff. Okay. What, um... <laughs> In your own head, no, what are you? Place. Are you are you an actor? Are you a writer? Are you a director? Is is there a definition? Uh, I think I'm interested in ideas. I think mm-hmm. communication. Yeah, I've always been interested in ideas and 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 communicating ideas. So it's however those can get across. I think so. I've always just tried to understand why people behave in the way that they do and and maybe I think well you know what are the rules what's it all about so I'm interested in the communication of ideas do you enjoy relating to people on a personal level not particularly <laughs> I mean you process the world through through the ideas um, you know the creative process I do I yeah. think I do yeah I'm a bit of a bit of a loner really and you observe don't know. Think so. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Maybe. Aye. I do. I, I enjoy looking around and seeing, seeing what the dynamic is in any situation. When you create characters, you know, as a writer or a director or as an actor, do you refer to people that you've met in your life? Do you think of, oh, that's like that person, or do you sort of? I don't think consciously, but I always. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I mean, I'm a bit of a David Mamet freak, so I just think, I think, what does this person want? What do they want? Right, you know, and so if you work out what a person wants in a given situation, then you can mark out what their their behaviour would be, and then yeah. So I think it's all down to working out what a character wants in any given situation, and then putting a barrier in the way. So what about the the, the methods of acting? Where do you stand? Um, just truth in the moment. Just trying to make it authentic in the moment. That's all, and. I mean, you you get a lot of British actors, and they'll say, "Oh, oh, as long as you learn your lines and don't bump into the furniture and all that sort," of, you know. But th- everyone's got a method. I I just I just uh, just looking for a bit of authenticity and truth, so that so there's an emotional truth to everything that you're saying, and that's mm. the same. It's the same process as as the writing, really, and the directing. It's all the same. How can you be truthful in the moment? Do you think that learn your lines bump into the furniture is a is a coy way of covering up that there is more going on? Yeah, of course. No one wants to admit that they do have a method. Maybe no, no. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you get you get an experienced British actor, you know, in their fifties and sixties that's been a professional all their life. You'd bet they've got a bloody method. They've got a method, but they wouldn't call it the method. You know, mm. they wouldn't wouldn't want to categorise it. They, they wouldn't pigeonhole it the way the Americans do. But, uh, but I don't think the. The methodologies are are that different one way or the other. Everyone's just trying to remember their lines and and be truthful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have trouble remembering lines? Yeah, I hate it. Do I mean, you really? Oh, I'm just oh, I'm just awful. How awful. do you how do you learn them? Do you have a, do you have a method? Well, you just start at the beginning, and then when you stop and don't know where you're going, you go back to the beginning again. So the the beginnings of plays tend to be. A bit better. I went. I went. I went the crucible in eight days. Remember? Wow. Aye, aye. That's pretty big. It's one of the biggest plays. Well, it was aye, John Proctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the biggest plays in the English canon, and I, I had to do it in in eight days. My my pal Louise sat with me and drove me mad trying to 
remember these lines. So I mean, I can do it, but it's and I do, I I do Tamashanter. You know, I can talk for twenty minutes, and mm-hmm. I was, I was fancy doing a sort of one person show an hour, but you just start at the beginning, and then when you start start forgetting it, you go back to the beginning again. Mm-hmm. Did you did you put on plays as a child? Did you no. write? No. Oh. I kind of I've got some vague memory of writing essays, composition it was called in those days. Oh. So I remember writing essays. I remember writing an essay about the Titanic, about what it was like to be in the Titanic. But that all kind of ended when I was about thirteen or fourteen, I think. So I don't. I I wrote very bad poetry. I remember. Wouldn't it be great if people were perspex and we could see through them and stuff like that? <laughs> So, so there wouldn't be any artifice and you could see when people were telling lies, but I, I never wrote anything that I can recall. You actually used the word perspex in a poem? Yeah, perspex people it was perspex called. Perspex people. Yeah, alliteration. Alliteration's key. Key. It's key. I'm trying to think of another I know verb. I was too. It's key to clutch. You must clutch that key. You must clutch the key of alliteration. <laughs> what other kind of uh, little... Little tricks do you think you would employ? Like alliteration is to me is a little well plosives, um, mm-hmm. plosives. You know, bang bang. Use monosyllabic words when when there are disyllabic words to use. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about writing now? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Well, you can construct you construct the words if if you want if you want somebody you, you see if, if you want to say stab stick. Mm-hmm. Is 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 better than than shove, you know? It's just more implosive. Mm-hmm. So I'm sticking it to you, mate. Is is more plosive, more, you know, more energy than I'm I'm putting it to you. Of course, yeah. So you you would look at plosives, you look at uh, syllables, you'd look at the construction of the words, and use use whatever you can. If people are being direct and really really punchy, you try and use monosyllabic plosives, really. And then is it less words where, you know, where well, you less should, will do? You should spend your words like five pound notes, you know? Yeah. If you can use one word when, unless you've got a blether or a character, of course, but, but yeah. try and use as few words as possible. Yeah. As well you know, because, well, I would think you maybe know, because if I do, if I have written a script, then the script didn't get where it was just by chance i've thought about every single dot and comma and and stuff so um, then do you get upset when actors misread or no no point in getting upset at actors they, they do that because they're not off the book yet mm-hmm. you know there was a wonderful moment in in the check buddy play that we did together where where uh, a person who shall be nameless said oh yes i see what's in the script hey yeah, that'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Be to actually use the words that are in the script. <laughs> Let's try it that way. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, well, why don't we do that then? That'd be really good." Hey, it's all there. Oh God! But then, uh, what about what about the argument that we live in a in a an authorocracy, if you like, where you know the author has the answers? Is that true? Well, you probably. I don't know. I I, I just used the words the three. Three words that I think are probably the most important words, certainly when a, when a director's directing their own work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You would have heard me saying, I, t- I don't know. People said, should we do that? And I go, I don't know. Yeah. Because there's, there's vast amounts that I don't know. I didn't know they were in an autocracy. I kind of feel it's just about trying to get the actors through it and when you're directing something. Anyway, it's just about trying to get them to, to, to own it and be part of it. So it's a collaborative thing, isn't it? That's collaborative. You... you You've got to try and bring everyone along. Yeah, I always see every time I see a director dramatized. You know, they stagger about looking like Eric von Stroheim or something. You know, but like like Adolf Hitler demanding that everyone do everything. And being a director's not like that at all. You know, it's, no, it's, it's it's a collaborative thing. So yeah, so it's trying to get the actors to share the truth, and and if the actors come in with a better truth. Than in the script, well, you change the script, you know, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, but you're talking about it being really specific. Even if it changes, it, it's really specific. Well, it would change for a specific reason. Yeah. And yeah. If, a, if, a writer, if an actor came up with a better idea, then I would, I would adopt it in a second. Mm. Of course, actors yeah. are, the, the, the trick is to have intelligent actors. Yeah. So, 
at what point then in your growing up did, did it become apparent that you wanted to do this to communicate something or to tell a story or whatever it is that you do? It manifested itself politically for, so basically for um, from the age of 17 really for the next 20 years I was involved uh, actively in left-wing politics and so it was mm-hmm. to do with um, having a world view that I felt other people should share so I tried to get other people to share it but it was never drama was never part of that and uh, I, I, so I never thought of myself as being involved in creative but I'd stand in a, a crate and, and make speeches in the middle of mm-hmm. the, the town square I've got up to outside the steps outside the Caird Hall and make a speech in Dundee you know about the mm-hmm. necessity for world revolution or whatever um, so it kind of manifested in my my later teenage years and my early twenties. It manifested well a lot longer than that, but it, the, the creativity manifested itself in attempting to get people to see the, the inherent wickedness of capitalism, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a kind of huge interregnum from leaving school to to when I went to university, where I wasn't involved in anything creative at all, uh, and even at university, I wasn't. A, um, involved in creativity in any meaningful way. I wrote a few articles for the the newspaper, but it was my final year after I'd been there five years before I got involved in any sort of creative work. And what were you studying at the time? Politics. Ah, and you did four whole years where you didn't. Well, I did six years. I was I was four years doing politics and sociology, um, but I was also I was president of the Students Association for a year, and then I was on the NUS executive for a year. So my middle years at university, uh, so I was at university for, for six years. Middle two years were two sabbatical years. So I was president, and then I went down to London, stayed in London for a year. And somewhere along the way, you start to realise that, what, you can c- communicate some of these ideas as political ideas creatively, is that no, right? No, no. It's <laughs> a no. guess, though. No, I, um, no, that never, never happened. I mean, I, I was at the People's Festival in Alexander Palace on the sixteenth of June, nineteen seventy-eight. There you go. And um, and and the reason I know that is because it was my birthday, and uh, I was there with my my friend Kevin for the NUS executive, and somehow or other we managed to get these bottles of Yugoslavian Riesling for a pound a bottle from the Yugoslavian comrades. Remember Yugoslavia? I remember that place. <laughs> and um and we, so we'd so we'd been on the NUS executive for a year. Uh so I would be what, twenty six, twenty seven, something like that, and just got drunk and me and Kevin were wrestling on this grassy bank outside Alexander Palace. And his two brothers, uh Two Irish brothers thought I was battering them and came up and battered me and broke my leg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you don't mean monks, I take it? They weren't the monks. No, no they were anything but monks. So if Kevin Murphy's brothers are still out there, hello, guys, because he changed my life. Because I was meant to finish on the exec and go up to um, northeast of Scotland and be a tatty roger for my pal uh, Bruce, Bruce Hyle. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't go. I had a broken leg, so I was sitting in a stookie in... Uh, because we had rode in Stirling, feeling very sorry for myself. Actually, I'd listened to the cricket a lot as well, and down in London we had Stookie as well. It was uh, Ian Botham, Australian stuff going on in Leeds. Mm-hmm. And um, then I just was sitting there and just had nothing to do, and then this guy called Brian Eastie shows up and says, you want to come up? He says, we're, we're, I'm auditioning for a play. And I said, oh, right, right that was... This guy's sort of wandering with white clogs, wearing cravats and stuff, and do Ischelis and out damn spot, whatever. Anyway, so I, I, I chummed him up the road on my crutches, and uh, it's because he was doing this audition for a play. And the, the guy that was doing the play said, uh, What are you reading? I said, I'm not reading anything. I'm just here with Brian because I'm full <laughs> of stuff. He said, Well, could you, do you mind reading? So I didn't even know what reading was. So I've got read. Read a bit from this play, reading and in for somebody else's audition. Or yeah, you... well, he, he no, he, he assumed that I was there for the audition. Right. I mean, it's it's absolutely true. This. So you just went along with it. Kind of I went like... well. I went along with, it and and then I would. So I was. I was so ignorant. I didn't know that you had to. That the person, the character's name. You didn't say the character's name. So oh. I'd said the character's name every every time, and he said, "You don't have to say the name every time in the dialogue." I said, "All right." Hey. <laughs> 
And then at the end, he said, would you like to be in it? I said, oh, I don't know. I said, it's, I'm on a stookie. You know, I'm in a stookie. He says, mm-hmm. he says well, we're, we're, looking for, we're looking for working class characters. And um, uh, I said, well, I so they'd made me read for this part. It was an old sort of worthy in, in, a, in a prison. I said, well, that, that seems okay, that part there, that guy. Mochen, his name was. Right, okay, we'll get back to you the next day. He couldn't have phoned me because I didn't have a phone, but the next day he came and says to me, do you want to play the lead? So so I went, what? what like in a play? And um, and that was The Hard Man. Johnny Burton, the part of Johnny Burton and The Hard Man. Oh, really? And, and three, so he said, we're not doing it for three months, so you'll be able to train and lose your sticking. So that's how I got involved in drama. So what that was... That was my fifth year at university. Was that student a student theatre company? Suds, it was Stirling University Drama Society. Right, okay. And by the time the the show came round, the Stuckey was gone. Aye. And you were ready to go. I was. I was good to go. I was hot to trot. And what was it? What was the whole experience like? Did you? Because you've never done anything like that before. I can't no. imagine how you even. You must have been like a fish out of water. No, not in the least. I, I, because no, I was very. I, if if you knew me. At, Sterling, you'd, I was the guy up on the table, you know. I was up there making speeches and occupying administration blocks and stuff. So I was very used to talking to large numbers of people. I wasn't right. intimidated at all. But um, and I, I, I don't, I, I don't really recall. I just remember having a great laugh because were a, it was just a great bunch of folk we were with and working out how to stab folk and getting drowned in sinks and getting the blood capsules to work and while we get the proper shirt for the for the prison and stuff like that. And then and then the first night we didn't have a tech and I sat down and the hard man starts where If somebody loves you, it's no good until he loves you. All the way and you stab this guy. That's right. what happens. Then you sort of run away and sit the the character runs away and sits on a dustbin. Right? Mm-hmm. sits in the dustbin and he starts talking about violence and what it was like being violent. But I'd never done it. It was a studio theatre. I'd never done it on stage before properly. And I didn't know that the lights shone in your eyes. Oh. I'd never seen the lights in my eyes. And I sat down on the on the dustbin and I looked up at the lights and I was that rabbit in oh. front of the headlights very first night. And somehow or other, I don't know whether that prompt or not but somehow or other I just kept going and then at the end I, 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 they clapped they, mm-hmm. they clapped I went my god they clapped you, you get people applause you so I thought applaud you That's, that sounds like that was fun and the next day maybe even that night I thought this is this is I want to do this so that was 27 year old really. That quick though you you had that one that one first experience. You well, thought. you see, it, I, would, I thought I might be be a, a, a full trade trade unionist or maybe a social worker. I certainly wasn't going to go back to be a lab technician or a slab boy, which is what I'd been. And mm-hmm. but suddenly, God, oh my, you could you could do plays and people would listen to the ideas you were talking about. So that's it was it was a really Damascene moment. And what where did that lead to? What was next? Oh, it, it was just one of those wonderful times. It was a, there were just really exciting things happening. Um, my friends Neil Scott and Brian Beatty, J- Jamie Neil, we, we formed the, the, the Scottish Student Drama Festival, 1982. The first first ever one was happening in Stirling. Mm-hmm. So suddenly we had to do a play, and I, Neil had was God, I'd played Sir, Sir Francis Walsingham. In Viva Viva Regina, that was the next play that I did. So I went for <laughs> I went for No Mean City to Sir Francis Walsingham. The Pope in Rome is a dangerous simpleton. Thanks be to God. All that stuff. Brilliant. And 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 then the third thing. Then I did Goldberg in the birthday party. Oh, what a part! Oh my gold, you know, blowing my mouth. <laughs> Um, so it was a wee bit of range, and then, mm-hmm. uh, so that was my final term at university. Simon Donald met Simon Donald mm-hmm. met uh, uh, Nicky Campbell. He was there, so a whole bunch of folk that came down for the, the drama festival, and, and we did quite well. And then we just found our own theatre company when we left. That's what that's what happened because suddenly we all, we 
they were just a bunch of bunch of people that um, that were just committed to becoming professionals. Although there was no drama society, no drama department at the university, you know. So it was all extracurricular, just yeah. yeah. So then, what with this company? Did you did you tour? You yeah. Them? Well, I mean, we would we would do stuff like I remember Russell Boyce gave us three hundred quid. Russell Boyce gave us three hundred quid to do primary schools or something, and we. we 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 went we did ten primary schools for three hundred quid, so we got a fiver each. <laughs> and so for basically for two years we tried to do it was called Stuff of the Scarecrow, by the way. We tried to become a community theatre company for Stirling and, and did okay, but there was never really the political will to give us money and we went to see um Jim's service, I remember at Equity, and then we went to see the, the Arts Council. It's got, you know, nobody really wanted to give a bunch of nits uh, money. And the final thing, we, we, we wanted to do Macbeth. So I put together this whole thing about doing Macbeth, a school tour to Macbeth, and went to, and it was finally going to be the first one that was going to be uh, uh, funded properly. And um, we went to the Arts Council and they said, no. <laughs> what? No. So, the next thing that happened was getting a... We used to always work at the McRoberts. I was mm -hmm. I was running flats in the very first uh, Scottish Theatre Company show. Um, right. Uh, the, the, the Polish Polish show, but, uh, The Gates at Gdansk. Um, not about heroes. So I would run flats in that, and then I destroyed the set as well. So I was I was working at the McRobert, and I did a few pantos, and then I did, I did Jack and the Beanstalk, and a guy called Alan Seedon said, "Do you want to get your equity card?" <laughs> I said, "God, I do, aye, right." So, so I got my equity card through that, through being Jack. The, sorry, the the giant and Jack and the Beanstalk. You were the giant. I were you on stilts or were you in the background? On I the actually helped to weld the boots and make the boots out of fiberglass. I was on these huge, giant steel boots. I mean, what health and safety would have said about that? Fee, five, four, five. <laughs> so yeah. you were kind of around the McBob. You were also trying to get this touring off the ground. Mm. You were just involved in everything, doing. But you were backstage, on stage. Mm. You were everything. in about it. Yeah, and, and and the way it worked, Bad Nights, that was our company, the way it worked with them, uh, shout out to Tony, the man that named us. Um... Brian, Brian sort of did most of the writing, and Neil was kind of the producer, and Marianne sort of did the, you know, administration. It kind of I sort of would run about lifting up the dog shite and where we were going to do the street theatre, but <laughs> more and more I, I kind of pretended to do a wee bit of the writing, although Brian was was doing most of the writing. So I did a wee bit more writing because I couldn't drive. That was the thing, uh. and I. I had no artistic skills, so I just did a wee bit more writing for them. So we ended up going to the Edinburgh Festival and the Beyond the Fringe, yeah, um, about three years in a row. Bedlam Theatre, by the way, your oh, your, yeah. your man Mara was talking about the Bedlam Theatre. We went to the Bedlam Theatre mm -hmm. Beyond the Fringe. So we we found out a guy called John Pope got us a gig there um, at quarter past eleven at night, oh, off the festival, off the Fringe, off everything. We just turned up and did a show. How is it off the fringe? I don't. We weren't in the. Oh, you weren't we, in the program. We weren't in the program. <laughs> we just decided, decided to go about, you know, a week before, right? And then just went and lassoed people and got them in to see our show. So you just standing outside the sideline and just going. Come well, on. Uh, the first time was we decided to go around the pubs, right? And uh, this show, this show started with I, I would knock on the door and go, "Hello, it's me." And it was a sketch about signing on the brew, something right. which Sadler knew quite a lot about. <laughs> and um, so that was that was how it started. And uh, so we went around to sell tickets around the pubs. And uh, we'll just have a half pint at the first one. Mm. Oh, we'll have another wee half pint. By the end, I did about five pints. And I, I walk on stage, go, knock, knock, knock. A me, it's low. <laughs> uh, 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 no, hello. Uh, 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 but the, the whole thing was a disaster. So that was the last time I had a drink before I went on stage. Awful. Anyway, we sold it. It was good. I mean, a lot of people came. I managed to get people beyond beyond the fringe. Beyond. Lord Kagan's Dirty Coalface show, it was called. That's a good title. Oh, magic. So you were writing a wee bit. Would you say you were picking up some tips from this guy, Brian, who was doing yeah, the most of the writing? Brian Beatty. So that's how you learned. No, you didn't pick up tips from Brian. You picked up his fags, really. Um, 
Brian was Brian still is a very clever man. Hi, Brian. And um, he would just come with this fully formed, perfect script. And oh, I'd he's be, one of those guys. Oh, and I'd be kid, I would be trying to write, mm-hmm. trying to write badly, um, and maybe one sketch in ten of mine go on. That's what happened. But it, you you do get a wee bit better at it as as you realise how structure works. Mm. Structure's a big thing for you. Well, I mm-hmm. obviously it's a big thing for all of us, but you speak with great passion about structure. Well, it's no good telling a story, but it's no way or, or if there's you know if there's any dwarves and the dwarves is a structural thing you know so if you there's like Goldilocks and the three bears you know the bears have got to be out of the cottage when she goes so that she mm-hmm. can sit in the seat well if structurally you make a decision that the bears are still there then they'll just eat her yeah. so structure is very important because you've got to say things in the right order put simply Aye, well, yeah. yes, but it's 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 the relationship of the the parts to the whole is what it's really all about, and so you have to have an appreciation of the order in which people consume stories, which is really what structure is. And do you see that written all over stuff that you watch on TV? And well, it's, hopefully it transcends that. If I'm watching something and I'm not thinking about the, the structure, yeah. then it succeeded. Yeah, you know, I watched the first episode of um, Patrick Melrose the mm-hmm. other night, and I never thought for one moment that it's actually just one relentless act. It's just one relentless act all the way through, simply because it was just so good. Yeah, but if you start thinking about structure when you're watching a, a film or a play, it means the, the playwrights failed. I, I think say. yeah, for for me, like a lot of films, current kind of comedy films, I just hate the third act, and I can see it. Because it's the hardest. <laughs> of course. And then it, it's hilarious in the first act. It's probably more hilarious in the mm. second. And then in the third, they try and get some heart into it. And it's just like, oh, give us a break. So often. Yeah. You know, an hour in, I'm like, yep, I'm done. Well, good third acts surprise you. But mm. it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You know? Because most people come to a story because they think at the beginning, oh, man, what if? And yeah. then they think, oh, yeah, and then that could happen. Yeah, that's great. And, and then what? Yeah, negate yeah. the negation, and it's tough. It's hard. Is the three act structure across everything for you? Is that is that? Well, it's not three act structure. It's just three. It's it's it's, it's the rule of three. People conceive yeah. things in threes. You know, things were bad, then they got better, then they got bad again. You know. What about a five act play then? A Shakespearean well, that's play? That's just that's just three acts cut in, with the middle act cut into right cut into three. I mean, you know, Macbeth. Macbeth decides, uh, Macbeth's told that he's going to be king. He decides to become king. Mm-hmm. Then the middle act's all about the disasters of being king. And then the final act's about being murdered. That's it. There's three bits. Now, there's five acts in it. Right. But, but two, three, three, and four are kind of. Oh, well, it's three parts of the story, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got a flawed character that does an unwise thing. Mm-hmm. You act through the, the implications of that. And then there's a final denouement. It's still three acts, you know. John with Goddard said every every movie should have a beginning, a middle and an end, but not necessarily in that order. <laughs> and th- these kind of, they're hard and fast rules. And, and yet they're quite... They're, no, they're tools. They're not rules. They're not rules. No, they're not rules. Certainly for the creation, of it, they're not rules. They're just tools. They're just ways of, of, of analysing how to tell stories, I would say, and then using using different strategies to get to the end. But at the end of the day, all you've just got to be is not boring. Yeah. So you've just got to constantly surprise people. But, you know, if you're writing, a, it's no big secret. If you're writing a, a love story, you know, you've got a lovesick hero that meets somebody mm-hmm. and then they have a great time and then they fall out and then they get back together again. Thank you very much. And if you try and buck that, well, it'd be, it'd be a damn good story. But that's as old as the hills, so it's like, why yeah. would you? And people have responded yeah, to people, that story yeah, forever. But, pe- pe- but, but yeah, Gilgamesh, you know, I mean, yeah. Gilgamesh is about a flawed character and the mo- defeating monsters and stuff like that. And, you know, and that's what, you know, the, every every superhero movie in the past 10 years is about. It's the same story. And that's that's fine. Human beings... I mean, we've been sitting around campfires for about, you know, maybe 100,000 years, and we, we haven't really gone that much further down for, my God, that was some mammoth hunt we went on there. Did mm. you see that? I was going, I was hungry, and then I went a mammoth hunt, and then we found the mammoth, but I got wounded as well. That's the story. 
you know, and there's, or I, I, I was, you know, I, I'd, I'd go up the mammoth and then I saw this really beautiful cave woman and I thought, well, I'll just give her a bit of the mammoth. And then she chucked the mammoth steak away, but never mind, because <laughs> I made a mammoth tusk necklace and now she loves me. Yeah, Same story. Yeah. I can imagine sitting in a campfire telling stories about, about that 40, 50,000 years ago. And if you were to tell the same story tomorrow, it'd still be as... Because people want to hear that story, you know, they want to be taken to that place. But also we still do that thing where when we sit round with our friends, we talk about, did you see that? Do you remember that time? Aye. Aye. We still do that. Aye. And that's that's probably just, that's yeah. perennial. Share an experience. Oh, that was something, wasn't it? I know. Oh, geez, and then you, you enjoy that? it all over again. Aye. What about that rain? <laughs> we still what? do it. Oh, and then the canopies, they were beautiful. There was wee, these wee things oh, with, with muscles. Them. And oh, it was just great. And you're salivating, you yeah. know, because you remember how good it was. It's just telling stories, isn't it? But you better tell in the right order. Yeah. Because we get lost, don't we? Or we just go, and people why like am light. I watching this? Aye, that's right. That's right. DBB, don't be boring. Mm. I go and see things, and, and I, often one of my big questions is why am I supposed to care about that person? And if I've not, if it's not been constructed in a way, that makes me care about that person's journey, then why am I bothered? Yeah. Something's not right. Yeah. And it happens. I find it a lot in, in films like films that are dramas. Mm-hmm. Go and see it and I go, right, but an hour in, I don't care if this works for him or not. And you know why? What? And nobody knows. Nobody can nobody can plan that. You either have empathy for the character or you, or you don't. And you, it's maybe some people do in that same film, and it just doesn't. Well, for me, it doesn't happen. But you you can't you can't plan it, you know, mm. because you 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 might think you've created a sympathetic or an empathetic character, but if people don't really care, they're not going to engage and. You've got to create somewhere, some something where people can put them. You, you've got to walk in that person's shoes, mm. but you, there's no, there ain't no rule for doing that. You know, it's just it's really, really difficult. I don't know why, when Benedict Cumberbatch, the character Benedict Cumberbatch plays in um, Patrick Melrose, is the most selfish, upper class wazic, <laughs> right? But I still felt sorry for him when he had to go to New York to pick up his. His dad's um, ashes. I still felt so. I felt empathy, and the only, only reason I can presume that I felt empathy for someone with whom I've got very little in common is, is that they they they, they were seeking truth and they found truth and authenticity in what they were doing. Because the human condition is the same, whatever your socioeconomic background, yeah. whether your race, religion, you know, sexuality, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. We still. I mean, it's like I tried to say in the thinkery. <laughs> There's a hole in the soul, you could argue, Aye. that people are trying to fill. Void, trying to fill. Fill the void. Yeah. And that's true of anybody, isn't it? Well. So we can find empathy. Beckett said, we're born, the light flashes for an instant, and then and all is dark, you know? And that's the three-act structure of people's lives. So in that light flashing for an instant, you're looking for some way of staving off the inevitability. I mean, Socrates believed the whole philosophy was about preparing for death, you mm. know? And that that so we've got to find some so we're looking for meaning in our lives because if there's no meaning then well let's not go there so 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 we're looking for meaning you know what does it mean but and I think that's that's what the basis of most most dramas are Mm. so to skip back a wee bit oh I you're at Bedlam you're doing your off the fringe but just take me through how does it get to how does it get to become your your gig your job how does it grow what happens well. I, I'd, I'd felt a guy called Peter Raffin came lived in our village and said, "You, you want to get an agent? I'll, I'll talk to my agent." And his agent was Pat Lovett, and I went to see Pat, who's quite the most glamorous person I'd ever met in my life. Hey, darling, she said, "Have you trained?" I said, "No, no, I think you should get trained." So I went down to Bristol Old Vic. I got, I, I saved up washing powder coupons to to go to Bristol and for some bizarre reason I changed the audition piece that I was going to do and ended up doing Richard II for God's sake let's sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings and I dried about ten times doing oh. this and then I did Gethin Price from Comedians and I dried trying to do that act oh it was just awful and then this this guy who was like Frank Finley's posh big brother said, tell me, why do you want to be an actor? I said, I don't know. And I walked out of that place and a sparrow shot in my head. So 
I went home and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't talk about it for three days. I just thought that that's it, it's gone. I'll learn Tatty Rogan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then then about it seems like I think it wasn't that much longer. I got a phone call one Saturday night, it was Pat Love and she said, What are you doing on Monday? I said, maybe taking a couple of films, you know. Mm -hmm. She said, "Um, can you be at STV at at 8 o'clock on Monday morning? I said, yeah. You're in Tiger, right? So I'm doing this thing, Tiger. Because somebody else whom I won't name had had a a bad asthma asthma attack. Uh I couldn't do this part, this bit part. So, um, So I... Turn up at STV at Cowcadden's. I see, I walk in and say, I'm, I'm here for Tiger. Um, well, no, no, sorry, mate. Um, turned out it was Taggart. And <laughs> oh, and I asked, will I, will I bring my own clothes? I'm not sure. No, you're a, you're a some backward diver. No, you're, you're, you're not expected to do that. And suddenly I was I said, put in this van, was given lines. Remember they'd sent, because they couldn't, they gave me the lines that morning. There were three lines. It was basically me being cheeky to Mark McManus. Really? Aye, right. What are you acting? No, we've no fun in, and then we were looking for some Buddha under the water. We get to the, we get to the, the Finiston crane there, and there's like forty people. And I thought, oh god, they let the public in, but no, that was the size of the. That was that the was crew. The, that was a crew. It was just huge, and they put me in this. They called it a dry bag, and this uh, this. Uh, the production manager, Joe says, right, in you go. I said, you're joking. Clean. I said, Aye. He said, I'm just joking. So I had to sort of stand with my helmet and be cheeky to Mark McManus. Oh, as if you were... And I did it. So I did it. And um, uh, Lawrence Moody, the director, came up and said to me, why don't I know you? And I said, well, why don't I know you? <laughs> so, so I was like, I was this 28-year-old actor that nobody had ever seen before. Yeah. And... Um, I had the same experience. Uh, right. And it's quite, where, where have you come from? Yeah. And I'd, liter- I'd literally come from, I'm coming from Kirkcaldy. <laughs> um, so I got cut from that. And then, he, God bless him, Ian Brown gave me a part in Romeo and Juliet. And so I was doing that. I think I was doing work for Tag. And I got his phone call saying, there's, but Tag, I now knew it was called Tiger because it was the second series of Tiger. The first one was called uh, Killer. Killer was the first first series. Oh right! And um, the the director said, Lawrence, uh, a guy called Haldane Duncan said, uh, Lawrence Moody says you're a good actor. You better come in and see us. So I came and saw them, and they were looking for a another cop. So it was um, Mark McManus and big, my friend Neil Duncan, and um, and I was the third one. I got the part. So I got this part in Tiger. Um, in the first series, I I got suspended. In the second series, I got sacked. In the third series, I got jailed for being a bad cop. So I was the bent cop in Tiger. Wow. And then I just got the chance to start writing for it because I was the only one was around. That's what... So Glenn Chandler wasn't able to write the middle episode of one because for one reason or other, I was the first ever person to write uh, an episode of Ch- Tiger that wasn't Glenn Chandler, so that, that took a wee bit of while. But mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Ian Brown had given me a chance to be writer in residence at the Travers. Michael Boyd got me. I wrote a Christmas show at the at the Tron, and uh, Peter Barber Fleming had asked me to do a wee bit of research for him. So it just sort of the writing thing sort of grew up at the same time as I was doing um, acting, and mm-hmm. then then there was this sort of moment in my life where I was I'd just done I'd done Armstrong's last good night. I was played Armstrong at Lyceum and I'd played Proctor in the in the the Crucible and then they said yes but come and do Tiger write Tiger. Mm-hmm. So I had the choice between getting equity minimum or well, there's a fun, there's a funny story because the first thing I wrote was a thing called the Macrame Man for Drama Rama for Robert Love and I'd been wanting I'd been wanting on Tiger and I just got the chance because Murray Ferguson said I'm going to be a producer next week not a script editor so if you have any ideas so I said I do have an idea for a wee play a wee piece mm-hmm. about an immature father and a mature son and uh, daughter actually was mature daughter and um, so I, I wrote this thing just straight out. It was called The Macrame Man. And um, I didn't know what my wages were going to be. 
So I knew I'd been get, I'd been I'd got some appalling. Man, it's not appalling. I mean, I got about two hundred and ten pound a week for doing Tiger, mm-hmm. and it and and then I got my I got twenty eight pound a day per diems, you know. So it, I, you would get you would maybe get three hundred pound. So the 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 McCrammy man had cost had taken me um, f- three weeks to write. So I worked out that's nine hundred quid. Well, I'm not that experienced, so I'll ask. I'll ask for seven, and I'm not accepting, accepting less than 500 quid, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to go to Robert Love to talk about my fee, and he, he, Robert Love said, so um, so you don't have an agent? I said, no. He said, well, it doesn't matter, because you'll be on the you're on the, the, the minimum, the Screen Guild minimum anyway. Um, Guild, uh, so hang on just a moment. Now it's, it's at four o'clock, and it's half an hour, and blah, blah. So it'd be, it'd be one, 1,750, and I went, What? And he said, we'll give you 2,000. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I went home and said, I'm a writer now. That's right. what I'm going to do. Yeah. Rather than getting paid 185 quid for being John Proctor and spilling your guts out on stage every week. And then I, so that's how I sort of moved more from the acting to the writing. So has it been a wee while since you acted then? I suppose so. I did a wee bit in lip service. I was appalling. Oh, God, I'm not even going to talk about it. Um, I was okay in lip service. I did I, I did a wee bit of stage a while back. I had my back, but I was. I, I did uh, something up at um, up at Dundee. Um, and I've not really done any stage acting for some time. Bits and bobs of, of, of telly and a wee bit of film. Um, I'd like to go back. I'd like to do a bit more... Um, um, stage acting, you know, I do miss it. I do miss it. But the wonderful thing with directing is, you you know the way I direct. I'm I'm up doing what the opposite of what they say that you should do. I go up and act it out all the time because I've got to act it out in my own head. Own head. Yeah, but so, it's not like a line reading where you say you've got to do it like this. It's like you figuring it out for yourself. I do. I'm. Aye. It's watching you going. Right, a- wait a minute. Aye, that's actually going through it. But it's yeah. act. It's like acting. It is oh, very yeah, much definitely. like acting. So no, I've not done much acting for a while but I would I'd like to I'd like to be the wee the wee baldy guy in the corner of the pub I was meant to be doing a film this year and it, sadly it fell through because the the director's wife got unwell and the whole thing whole thing collapsed but I was I, I would have been doing um, a bit of acting in a in a in a film um, right at the moment um, mm. I'm open to offers we'll see <laughs> but then you've been you've been so busy with this whole Chick Murray thing yeah. was a big, I mean, it still is a big kind of part of your life. Yeah. It's been a long time in the making. Well, the, the Chick Murray thing, which is was the second last thing that I did at Lauren Moore, was uh, something I've been wanting on since 2006. Yeah. Eric, Eric Coulter um, and came to me when he was at SDV and said, what do you think of Chick Murray? I said, I think he's a genius. So we, we try to try to make a, a film for um, BBC. It was going to be the first SDV production for the BBC. So I wrote that 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. um, but it sort of crashed and burned. But I was always, I always wanted to still do it. So Morag, when, when I talked to um, Morag in April um, or more, they said, do you, do you know anything about Chick Murray? I said, well, I know I know he's a genius that needs to be celebrated and I'd like to write something about him. They said, well, what's your take on it? And I'd found out that on the night that he that he died, you know, that certain thing had happened. He'd been, he'd, he'd been trying to get to, to, to meet his ex-wife, but hadn't managed to, to meet her. And he spent the night in the house next door, mm-hmm. just, just two feet away from her through the wall and and he'd passed away that night so that was the framing of the of the film of the play um mm-hmm. and so that's what became chick murray a, a funny place for a window a, a show which i believe you you know quite a bit about i do i spent actually, a bit of time on that one. actually i must tell you something when when i saw you in mcgonagall i said god he'd be good he'd, that guy'd be good for for all the other parts and and Chick Murray and I went up and I said to you 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 available you're around he said aye aye and then I walked away and thought God I wonder if he thinks I've just offered just offered him Chick Murray did you think that <laughs> no because you told me that Dave well, Anderson was playing Chick well, Murray did I, I, I see in my mind I I was worried that uh, that that I'd maybe because I never said what parts you must have thought. It was just the ensemble. I don't know what you thought. No, you did. You did because you said what you did in McGonagall. We need something like that in Chick Murray. <laughs> right. Bit of music, lots of other That's roles right. and stuff like that. 
and it, to be fair, it is a specialty now of mine. Is <laughs> playing well, accordion and playing it's, everybody else. Absolutely. Well, you do it very well. You do it as well <laughs> as anyone I've ever seen. Because I saw you for the Beaches of St. Valerie. Remember aye, that? Aye. When I thought we might be looking for a musician, but ended up with Dindy. That's one of my audition stories, actually. Because Is that? yeah, because I hope I treated you well. Oh, it was grand. Um, I played a bit of something that you you put something on YouTube, and I sort of copied it or something, and it was all sort of slow and pensive. And I said to you at the end of the audition, I need to be clear. I said um, I can play fast, and you went what? <laughs> and I went I can play fast, just so you know. And you went all right, go on then. And I just because I wanted to make sure that you knew that I could really play the accordion because I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I did that you know I went in for Sunshine and Leith and at the end of the edition I said do you want me to play the accordion because I brought it with me and they were like no no it's fine I went I mean just quickly because <laughs> I thought you've got to show them they went, no no we're in a bit of a rush and I went okay but just so you know I play the accordion and I'm quite good and then I left so it's like you know you only get five minutes well who knows but you you, you never know they might they might need you know they might be doing the one day down the road well who knows know. It might, be, might need to be a musical called Marta one day. Oh, Marta. When I when you sent me that script and I started looking through all that, this is what I do is I look through all the songs and I, I make a playlist of them and start listening to them. And I heard that and I thought, I wonder who's going to be doing that. You always go, I hope it's no me having to do that song. And then, aye. You it did was. it very well. <laughs> Marta. It's mad. Rambling Rose of the Wildwoods. So you're... You're still doing the same thing. This idea of this communicating ideas. I suppose so. You see this little, this little uh, nub of something in Chick's life story, and you think rather than let's tell Chick's life story, you think here's a dramatic mm. entrance. Yeah. Here's a here's a framing device. Yes, that's. Do you do it. that a lot? I was uh, no, I'll do it all the time. So it's finding a. Well, way I'm, in. I'm I'm doing it right now. I I don't want to I don't want to put a hex on it, but I'm writing a, a new play at the moment, and mm-hmm. I'm so I'm doing all the preliminary research on it at the moment. I'm reading everything I can find about it, and what I've got to do is find an in. I've got to find an in to it. So you know that you want to communicate something about this subject matter, but you need yeah. to find some you specific little detail. You need to find what detail. the structure or the play will allow you to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think. Here's the Chick Murray, for example. Here's here's the man. He he died at the age of sixty five. He must have known five thousand people. There were ten thousand events in his life. There was huge things happened. How do you get in on that? You know, where do you start? Also, you've got an hour or less. To well, do with this three characters. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing what you have to do for for a something like a play of pie and a pint. You got yeah. to distill one person's life into something that's tellable by three actors in an hour. Yeah. And the so the the first decision that you make to do that is absolutely crucial that you use the correct framing de- device. I kind of I I, I better watch myself because I've I did exactly the same in the, the empty charcoal box. You know, was that taking a really really crucial moment right at the end of the of the narrative to to then be an in and then going back and and trying to excavate excavate how that happened. Mm-hmm. I maybe think I need to be looking for a a new trick for this one, but I don't know what. So I'm 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 looking at a specific incident at the moment and trying to work out how to tell the story in a dramatic way. So you read and read voraciously yes. first. Yes. And watch what do you do you look up for documentaries about this, that and the next Not thing? really, no a lot of reading. Reading because well I maybe do laterally. I would I would never watch the documentaries first because that's received it's kind of received through somebody else's ideas of what the imagery is. I'd rather I'd rather read first if I could and then work out what my metaphors or imagery is going to be. I think that's what I do. Um, I, I would, I would, my first point of call, port of call would never be YouTube. Mm. Um, I would try and find out. So what I'm, what I'm, what I read yesterday was a contemporaneous um, uh, account of the events, something that happened mm. on the twenty third. December 1908. That's what I did yesterday. Sat in my, sat in my garden in the sun and read mm-hmm. about an event that happened on the 23rd of December. Now I'm yeah. racking my brains. Well, there's a very... Do um, everyone will be Googling that now? Oh, the, They'll what, break Google. Oh my God, folk listen to this, don't they? <laughs> oh well, How dare you? I wonder... I wonder uh, that's, sorry, it never occurred to me. Um... Aye, no, not 1908, it's 1924. Oh. Anyway, yeah, so so 
Yeah, you try and read the contemporaneous stuff, the, right. the stuff that was written at the time, rather than how it's been interpreted later. This um, mediated stuff like documentaries and so on, it's gone through. Aye, there's nothing wrong stages. with that, but you've got to have a better idea yourself of what's going on. You so you've got to know all the facts. It's like yeah. one of the things that I did when I did uh, when I did doing research at, at university that that you know you, you read as much as possible of the stuff that was written as close as possible to the, to the event itself. Yeah. Uh, don't don't read the stuff that's been mediated through the ages because that's somebody else's story and somebody else's interpretation. And every time a story is retold, it's retold through the prism of what other, other person wants to say. You've got to be aware of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The best thing is talking to the people themselves, of course. But and there'll be few of them. There'll be very around. few, but luckily, I mean, say for Chick, I was able to speak to Annabelle and Douglas, Chick's, Chick's children, Chick and Mady's children yeah um which was wonderful because that's first that's that's for the horse's mouth really in a way that most stories certainly more historical stories you wouldn't be able to find and most people in the industry have a have stories about check but they tend to be i would imagine um part of his performance that they've seen maybe not literally but but it's part and they think they think that's real and they actually all meld into one. I've been told, and I'm not going to name names, but I've been told the same story yeah. three times over by the same by people who are telling me the same thing happened to them. Yeah, and it's obvious that they've received it from someone else. And, and re- even if they're not aware it. of it, no, but you don't. A lot of people have told me the same stuff. Oh, I was with them and such and such. And I, go, oh. I find myself doing that, and you, yeah. especially when you're talking about things that happened a while ago, and you, no, no, that was that was Willie that happened to know was it? I thought it was me, you know. And that's the way human memory works. We just love stories. So so beware people telling stories about things that happened, but the folk that were actually there, that's really useful. Mm-hmm. So you're writing away. Mm-hmm. Do you write, Do you just start because you have to write it or do you start because you've got the commission and somebody's waiting for it? God, that's a big question. Um, I'm always working on something. I hope that somebody's going to want to to do it right. I have no I have no need to sit in a darkened room and write you know but I, I do have a need to try and earn a living so if I can use my imagination and my research and somebody will maybe I can resource it in however small a way mm-hmm. and believe me it's a small way um, well let's not even go there mm-hmm. um, but I do like to think that at least somebody else can can commit to to resourcing something mm-hmm. uh, to make it happen. So the 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 I mean I'm off off to Norway next week to to research and to write something. But somebody's put something up to right. to make it happen. You like to think that somebody else would buy into your idea. So I'm not I'm not really I, I've no I, I'm not, I don't write because I must write. You know mm-hmm. it's not like that. I'm not really a, a poet or a somebody that's spreading their guts out in the st- on, on the on the page i'm more a sort of job and mm-hmm. writer i think but you were a poet perspex people God, don't don't forget that was a bad poet <laughs> i mean perspex people is not a good poem there's another <laughs> one called elastic cows i remember that one maybe i was really it was it was a juxtaposition of oh oh um, flesh and and Some material, sort of you know, synthetic plastic. I remember it's a plastic cow one. Yeah. Uh, perspex, perspex people. It's not exactly. It's not very lyrical, is it? Really? Yes, but yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not a great poet. I would say. I like reading poet. I don't read a lot of poetry. But. Well, listen. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming in and chatting okay. to me. Been a pleasure. Stuart Hepburn there, a great writer, a great director, a great mentor and a self-proclaimed bad poet. So uh, what a joy it was to talk to him and to to work with him over these last couple of months has been really great. It's been enlightening and I've learned a lot and I hope it continues. I think we've got a few wee ideas in the pipeline, so it's not over yet. So I've got my reading chosen from a trip. Um, All I need to do really now is narrow it down to, you know, less than 20 books. Because I've got a terrible habit of bringing too many books and too many clothes. So the packing has to be done yet. And that is basically um, an audition of clothes and books. See who makes the cut. And plenty of podcasts to listen to. Can't have too many of those. And I kind of 
yeah, I look forward to a long flight sometimes because it's like a wee day off, some, you know, if it's long enough. Or it's like a wee mini holiday where you can't be contacted, you can't really get that much work done. You just sort of sit there, watch movies, read books. Or as I do, just sleep. Do a lot of sleeping. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, don't worry, the podcast will still be continuing. Uh, we've got a great guest next week and the week after. I've got them all lined up uh, while I'm away. They'll still be coming out. So don't worry. Keep subscribing. Keep checking back. And uh, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that subscribe button and let your pals know about the show. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. I should remind you at this point that my sponsors are purplepandamedia.com. They did my website and logo design and uh, they're certainly worth checking out. And that's all for me this week. So next week with a new guest, we'll be here same time, same place. Thank you very much for being part of it. And in the meantime, I'll just say my usual. Cheerio now.